0: Uh, my guest today, Dr. Frank Lipman is a pioneer in both integrative and functional medicine. He's the founder and director of 1111 Wellness Center in New York City, a New York Times best-selling author and the creator of Be Well, a lifestyle brand that helps people achieve genuine and really sustainable life changes. I have known Frank for many years. He's become a close advisor when it comes to really anything wellness related that I am exploring doing we explored his moving personal journey from South Africa to New York in a prior episode. In this week's best of episode, drawing from his latest book, How To Be Well, we dive into what he calls his good medicine mandala. And it's really kind of wrapped around these six pillars of health, along with some very specific and often contrarian advice, which um, he is not afraid to carve his own path and be very direct about what he agrees and disagrees with. On everything from fasting and fat in your diet to sleep and sunshine and so much more. Really excited to share this conversation with you. I think especially valuable as we all start to sort of uh, look towards the year to come and figure out how we want to step into our own well-being. I'm Jonathan Fields, and this is Good Life Project. sitting across from a friend and somebody who I trust you know in in health medical medical wellness world, Dr. Frank Litman, and we have, in a prior podcast that we will link to in our show notes, kind of gone deep into your your backstory, your journey being raised in a kind of an activist family in South Africa. Yeah. Being trained there as as a physician, and partly in Soweto, from what I remember, also, and then coming here. And if you guys have not listened to that, you definitely want to listen to that. It's a really Frank's backstory. His his journey is incredibly compelling. What I want to talk to you about today is a little bit of a different conversation. You have written many books over the years. We've talked about them. I've read them. Always really interesting. You have a book out now that kind of feels like. It is the comprehensive sort of, you know, like of everything that you've done and all the different topics and all the different questions your patients, thousands of patients have asked you over the years. Like, This is like the one go-to reference. See
1: that, exactly, yeah. That that was a point of the book, to try put all this knowledge I've gained from sort of Western medicine and science and the wisdom I've gained from all these ancient traditions a lot of the learnings from working with patients seeing what works seeing what they you know what jives with them and put it into a one book all in one place made it accessible for people because i keep getting this this constantly doc you know i'm not interested in why just tell me what to do people these days aren't interested in why they should stop eating sugar or why they sh- maybe should you know drink bone broth they just want to know how to do it and what to do. So that's sort of the outcome. of This book sort of came out of that. How are people thinking about their health? You know, what's going to be the most effective way to penetrate the culture?
0: Yeah. is that, Do you find that that's a recent change, that, that yeah. people were much more interested in sort of like the why and understanding?
1: I think so. Maybe it's my practice too. I think in the older days when it was a little bit more alternative, people who came to me knew a lot or knew more maybe I'm getting a a sort of no, I wouldn't say conservative but a broader type of patient who they just don't have the time they're not that interested in the whys they just want to know what to do
0: yeah just tell me what works yeah
1: so it's yeah it's definitely a new thing I'd say in the last four or five years
0: yeah and which kind of parallels just sort of the the picking up of the pace of humanity and life. And I wonder how much technology sort of is a part of that too.
1: Major part of it. I think, you know, technology is really interesting because it's wonderful in one respect. But I think, you know, I'm observing it more and more, the problems with technology, the loneliness, the lack of vulnerability. There are so many issues that, that I'm seeing which technology plays a Part, and I'm not saying it's everything but I'm seeing the the downside of technology presenting in people's health whether it's emotional or physical but we're definitely seeing the consequences of all this technology now I'm a big fan of technology but I think it's where, where did I see this use screens not too much or something one of these Michael Pollan what did he say eat food not too much I can't remember but it's the same thing with technology. You know,
0: you, be, you just need to be smart about how you use the technology. Yeah. Do you even bother having conversations with patients about this? Or or is it the type of thing where it just, you feel like it's just so integrated into people's lives, they can't yeah. or won't respond to it?
1: Yeah, I very rarely have a conversation about this. It's just something that I observe. I don't, I, I'd say very, very rarely do I, do I get into this with anybody. Yeah, it's just so ingrained in the culture. My daughter, who actually is a therapist now, deals a lot with this and she gets into this. So it's interesting. And she's seeing more and more of these problems. She's 30 and she works as a therapist in my office now. And she sees a lot of these young, she sees a lot of young women in particular. And she reckons that a lot of the issues are related to technology, whether it's, you know, looking at, other people's Facebooks and Instagrams and, and getting jealous of how they're living their life. There are all these issues that are coming up that she's finding in therapy. So I don't really get
0: into it, but I'm definitely seeing consequences of it. Yeah, I think we all are. At some point, I feel like there's going to be a reckoning.
1: Yeah. There sure. has
0: to be. <laughs> uh, yeah, and
1: not even talking about all the electromagnetic fields from from you know people wearing all their eye watches and, and everything. So... I think we, we're heading into an interesting time and, you know, we're starting to see consequences and it can only get worse.
0: Mm-hmm. So your book, How to Be Well, there's so many things that I want to play with that came out of this, but one of them is sort of like the bigger picture. So my last book was you know, How to Live a Good Life and it was kind of divided life into three buckets, connection, contribution, and vitality. And you it's interesting because you create your own buckets for lack of better word, or pillars, right? You have six of them. Talk me through these six and why you chose them because they're, some of them are what you would think, but some of them aren't. Right, I
1: mean, the obvious ones that I deal with all the time and people understand have an effect on their health. You know, it actually, how this part of how the thinking of this book came about was I spent so many years trying to understand how Western medicine, you know, fits into or how my Chinese how I can understand Chinese medicine from a Western perspective. So I spent so many years trying to work out what is energy in Western medicine? You know, what is qi? And all the concepts of Chinese medicine I try to understand from a Western perspective. With this book I sort of went the other way. I was trying to, well, how do I fit my Western medicine understanding into my, you know, all my influences in Chinese medicine. And it came from mandalas. I'm obsessed with mandalas and the whole Tibetan, you know, the medicine mandala and, you know, I have them all over my office. And I thought, if I can con- create a mandala with the way I sort of see the body from a Western perspective and, and put it into this, mandala concept and that's how the six buckets came so it's in a mandala you have you or something in the middle and then you have your four gates and you're surrounded by these circles so the circles that i thought were important the pillars of my health were how to eat which is the most material how to sleep everyone knows sleep affects the health how to move and then and how to unwind well, those are the four how to relax so those were the four Pillars that everyone sort of knows about eating, sleeping, moving, relaxing. But the other two pillars are issues that not too many people speak about, although people do. And and people don't really realize are, are as important in their lives. And the one is how to protect yourself from the myriad of chemicals and toxins out there. Because this is a new issue in our modern day from what, you know, nonstick pans to the cosmetics we put on our skin. You know, every day we bombarded with all these chemicals that we don't even realize because you don't smell them, you don't really see them, you hardly ever taste them. And yet we are constantly bombarded by all these chemicals. So one of the, you know, a a pillar I created was how to protect, basically how to protect and, and mitigate you know, the the idea of protecting yourself from these chemicals that are, are in our lives. And the last point is what you talk about too is connection, connection to yourself, connection to the community at large and connection to the earth. So in Chinese medicine, you as a human are a microcosm of the macrocosm. So you are affected by the outside world. You as a microcosm are part of this macrocosm. So this realization that you connected to what's going on around you. But also the connect part is sort of connecting to yourself because most of us live in our heads or or don't really tune into what's going on. So that's that's where the, the fifth and the sixth pillars come from.
0: Mm. I, love, I love the concept of mandala as sort of, yeah, the, the basic template of what you were putting together.
1: Yeah, because mandalas. I've I remember years ago. Not that that's how I meditate now. You know, you got taught to meditate on a mandala. So my thinking was, this is your medicine mandala to meditate on. If you meditate, if you sort of tune into all these factors, you're going to get you in the middle. You know, you need to take care of your health, and these are the issues you need to think about and meditate on.
0: Now, for those who may not have had any exposure to this word, mandala, can you share just a bit about what you actually mean when you say that?
1: Well, a mandala is, I don't know how much I really know about them, but it comes from, I think, it's the Buddhist, definitely in the Tibetan Buddhist world, but I think it's any Buddhist text. It's the way I understand it anyway is... Mandalas are created for you to sort of meditate on and sort of understand something to sort of embrace or understand in 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 the bigger scheme of things. I'm I'm not sure. To be quite honest, I don't know. I didn't really get deep yeah. into the 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 whole mandalas. Just I, I sort of put the book into what I understood of a mandala and how I related to mandalas, um, and how when I was learning meditation at one point I was meditating on the medicine mandala, the medicine Buddha, because, you know, I was, because being a doctor, I was told that I need, you know, first of all, I have a medicine Buddha in each of my treatment rooms. And so it was sort of an extension of that part of me coming out.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, my understanding of mandalas is also what you just shared and that there is, you know, it's sort of a visual representation mm-hmm. of there is this center, epicenter, and then things are connected, and there's a there's a sort of a sacred geometry about how it expands outward and how things are in connect, interconnected. So, and I always love the idea that there is there is something that's repeated and sacred and almost like mathematically sensible about it.
1: Yes, and you can enter at any point, which was very appealing to me, and. There are these gates, are these entry points or exit points. Which, So the whole way of my understanding of mandala, I sort of turned it around and, and brought this Western sort of understanding of medicine, and I'll try to overlay it onto the mandala. It was just a personal craziness of mine, sort of be trying to go the opposite way of what I've tried for so many years to sort of bring the trying to understand Eastern medicine from a Western perspective. So I went sort of, okay, I was quite intrigued by the mandala. Let me try and understand Western medicine from this perspective. That was just crazy. Yeah. Crazy.
0: It's almost like you're, you're teaching yourself to be bilingual. But I mean, as, as, a, as a practicing doctor too, that's gotta be a skill that is increasingly valuable because I feel like so many people now have become curious and they are, they, any one person may walk into your office, you may have somebody that is hyper practical and only wants the Western explanation, but you may have somebody who doesn't really care about that and they wanna know what's happening in a subtle way. And and I'm curious, I would, you know, as, as a practitioner, having the ability to sort of quickly figure out which mode somebody needs to be interacted with and then speak their language, I would imagine that that's a, a hugely valuable asset.
1: Yeah, I think to me, the art of medicine is is being able is, well, first of all, the, the, three, the Dalai Lama talks about the three most important, important aspects of healing are, are the belief of the patient, the belief of the practitioner, and the karma or the relationship between the two. And to me, the art of medicine is Sort of sitting down with someone, connecting with them, and sort of trying to work out where they're at, and try to, not necessarily make a diagnosis, or try to get them to understand from the, from where you know what from their belief system, what's going on in their bodies, and how you can help them. And so yes, yeah, some people want to know. You know, everyone wants to know from a different perspective. So to me, the art of medicine is trying to meet that person where they are and explain and motivate and inspire all at the same time. So you want them to understand what's going on, but you want to scare them a little bit so they make the change, but also you want to inspire and motivate them. So there's all of those things working together. You know, Some people don't need to be scared because they're already scared when they come in, so you don't have to scare them. Some people need to be scared you need to say listen if you don't get your shit together you know you're not going to be able to go riding you're not going to be able to enjoy your grandchildren you're not going to be you know you've got to sort of find out what's important to them and scare them not everyone but a lot of people you've got, you've got to like a little bit of fear not like western medicine which scares the shit out of you and like you know you're going to get you got cancer and you know but there's a way of a little bit of fear can be helpful for some people but I think it's always important to show people that they can do it. It's not that difficult. And inspire and motivate them. And so it's all the above. But I think the art is knowing where that person in front of you is at and somehow connecting with them on some level and then, you know, being some type of inspiration for them to get better.
0: Yeah. I, I love those three elements. I've always believed that the dynamic between patient or a client and doctor or healer, whoever it may be, that that dynamic plays such a central role in, in the outcomes in whether you have a successful outcome, a failed outcome and how much of a failure, how much of a success it is. And I feel like it's, it's something that's rarely ever addressed.
1: It's crazy. I think patient, you know, doctor patient relationship is the key to healing. And unfortunately we've lost that with modern medicine And I think with technology, it's gotten even worse. You know, I hear so many times people they went to I, you know, I'd send them to someone who's really a good doctor who I think is a brilliant person, but they're not even looking at the patient. They're typing the whole everything's on the computer now, and I think we're losing something from that. I think the 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 art of medicine is all about the relationship because if someone believes in you, trusts you, and there's a bond or there's some type of connection yes i agree with you the chances are they're going to get better
0: Mm. let's dive into some of the six pillars actually want to and before we dive into any detail something just came back to me when you mentioned that you added you know one of these six is protection what's so fascinating is that a that's so it's actually rarely talked about but that you you elevate it to a level of importance as things like sleep and eat and move which are you know the common things that we all hear and and in doing so it's like it makes it part of your daily have i done my thing under this particular pillar type of thing where i had never really considered to me it's always been a well if there's time if there's something you know like it's it's the throwaway it's like yes i know it's important but doing things to in any way protect me from the environment or anything that may be, you know, harmful. It has never been elevated to the level of, okay, this is one of the six critical categories for you to be healthy and well and okay.
1: Well, I think it's become one because what the powers that be have put in our food, put in our cleaning products, put in our cosmetics, you know, even, you know, all the default choices often so unhealthy i mean i keep going back to non-stick pans which you know we life people create products to make things quick and easy for us without considering the outcomes gmos perfect example we may not be 100 percent sure that they're a problem but you know in my heart i know that can't be right but That type of thing. I think there's so many aspects of how we live our life now that we have to unfortunately take into account. And the whole idea of the book is how do you create healthy habits? Because once you create a habit, then you don't have to think about it. And that's, you know, my daughter turned me on to a wonderful phrase that comes from the 50s, some therapist in the 50s. We, and it's, it says neurons that, that fire together, wire together. And I love, I mean, I've never heard of that. I think that's brilliant because that's about how do you create healthy habits that you don't have to think about it. That's what the book is really about, how to turn people on to thinking about things and just creating healthy habits so they don't have to think about it. So when they get cosmetics now, they get cosmetics without all the chemicals in, and that's just, because those are the cosmetics they use. You know, when it comes to cooking, buy you know the don't buy the non-stick pan because you know the chemicals are going to come off the non-stick pan. So that that type of thing is you know all these things add up, and the little things you can do. I think it's the small choices you make on a daily basis
0: have a huge impact on your health. Mm. Yeah, I, and that is so, it's such an important message, right? Because I think that's another big myth is that we think well i don't want to have to like disrupt i don't want to to throw everything i do up in the air and little things you know they all add up under food let's talk about some of the different pillars here under eating there's some things that jump out at me that i i'm curious about so so and as we sit here and record this so let's let's talk about eating you have very specific opinions about things like fat As we sit here, there was, there was an article in, I think it was the Times, maybe the Sunday Times or recently, kind of once again bashing fat and sort of saying, okay, so we know now that the higher carbohydrate approach to fueling yourself wasn't necessarily the right thing, but all the claims now about things like saturated fat and butter and coconut oil and this and stuff, we seem to be going bonkers over that, assuming that it's health food And in fact, all the research still shows that it's completely terrible for you.
1: Well, no, the research doesn't show that. I think you know my philosophy on fat is basically if it's made by God, it's probably healthy. If it's made by man or in a factory, it's probably not. So the natural fats, coconut oil, I think is incredibly healthy fat. I mean, it's nonsense that it's getting the saturated fat is getting a bad rap. There's more and more evidence showing saturated fat is not a problem the problem is if you eat a lot of saturated fat or bad fats and a lot of carbohydrates then it becomes a problem but if you're eating or you're not eating too many carbohydrates you're eating a low carbohydrate diet then eating a lot of saturated fat is fine and at all you know what I find is although I think the majority of my patients anyway people that I see do better on a low-carbohydrate diet, that's not everyone. Some people have a problem with fat and too much saturated fat. I mean, my wife, my wife needs to eat more carbohydrates, I need to eat more fat. I mean, I think everyone's different, there is no one way. I think the majority of people do better on a low-carbohydrate diet and eating more protein and fat. But once again, it's the source of the fat, it's the quality of the ingredients. So. I think fat, if you're eating a low-carbohydrate diet, is not a problem. Like a bulletproof coffee, which I'm a big fan of. But if you're having it with a muffin, that's a problem. If you're just having your bulletproof coffee and you're having your coffee and your coconut oil and a bit of butter, you know that's not necessarily a problem. But if you're adding a lot, you know, a lot of carbohydrates, then it becomes a problem. So it's all, the, it's all a little bit nuanced and it's all the context Rather than, you know, all carbohydrates are bad, all fat is good. I think, you know, Americans aren't really good at nuance as a general rule. <laughs> I mean, but all these things are nuance. They're not as sim- you know, It's not as simple as all fat. But I'm, you know, good fat is good for you. I mean, I have a history of heart disease, but I do so much better. My heart disease was all the carbohydrates, all the fruit and all the whole grains I was eating. When I stopped all that and I started and I was scared of fat for so many years, and I started embracing these fats and first of all, I just the weight just fell off, not that I was that much that overweight, but it just fell off and all my numbers got better, I felt better, everything got better. so and I see that with a lot of people. so I think I'm a huge fan of coconut oil. I put it in my shake every day. We cook with it. so you know, I'm not. As, I'm not one that's huge on studies, but as far as I understand, the studies show that saturated fat is not necessarily a problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I've tried to do a little bit of work around some of the research, and and I think very often the big headlines you know, like, jump out because they grab a lot of attention. But like you said, when you look at the nuance, a lot of times, you know, They're not parsing well, but was this conclusion in the context of also having a high carbohydrate diet or a low carbohydrate diet, or was it looking at the source, you know, was it grass fed this versus, you know, like a factory? I feel like uh, there actually is some of that research going on now on a larger scale. I'm kind of excited for the next wave of research that parses a little bit more so that we can figure out because, I mean, we need better information <laughs> right now.
1: Well, this is a problem, and this I think one of my tips is know your source, because I'm, I'm not against meat if it's grass-fed meat. I think factory-farm meat is terrible and extremely unhealthy, not only for humans, but for the planet, for animals, for everyone, for the workers. But grass-fed meat is not. Eggs, you know, pastured eggs are good for you. I'm a huge fan of eggs, but you know the the regular eggs aren't good for you. So same thing even with butters. So it's, it's all. I think the source is really important of of the foods that we eat. And you know, if we go back to the way our grandparents used to, they had no. The, the, the food wasn't industrialized that yet. So it's what we've done to the food that is more of an issue than the actual food itself. And even if you look at. A lot of the old cultures, you know, when it came to grains and beans, which I'm not a huge fan, of, but they soaked the grains or soaked the beans. They had ways of preparing these foods which took a lot of those harmful factors out. So, you know, uh, these, you know, I'm always amazed at the wisdom of so many of these cultures, things we just took for granted and we don't do anymore because, you know, we have fridges and we have, life is so easy. We We don't do the same things to, our foods that they were forced to do but which were very helpful in in helping people digest these foods.
0: Yeah. I mean, these days, you know, and it's just like what you said, people coming to you say, I don't I don't even need to know why, just tell me what to do. Right. Like how is that person then going to say, Well, let me think about preparing this for fermentation or sprouting so that I can have it like twenty four hours from now or something like that. Right. You know, I think that all gets lost in the quest for fast and easy. But at some point, we all pay, you know? It's a matter of whether you wanna pay in small bits along the way and feel right. good along the way, or whether you wanna crash and burn and have a more dramatic, you know, okay. moment. Yeah. One of the other things that sort of under this nutrition pillar for you is intermittent fasting, which I'm fascinated with. I've shared and, and listeners know that very recently I just did a completed a seven day fast with your advice, which was super helpful to me as well. I found it really so incredible, the effects that had on me. It was surprisingly easy. And I have done some experimenting with this idea of intermittent fasting. Tell me a little bit more about what this is and and why it matters.
1: Well, there's more and more research on sort of fasting, intermittent fasting in particular, how it affects your hormones, in particular your insulin, but other hormones too. And they've found it particularly effective for, people to bring down their insulin levels and to help people manage their blood sugar and, and lose weight, function better. Here's an interesting concept as well, which you know once again going back to my Chinese medicine. Before there was even people were talking about intermittent fasting, I was always taught by my Chinese medicine teachers to try and rest your digestion for 12 to 14 hours a night, to try eat a little bit earlier, to eat dinner a little bit earlier and eat breakfast a little bit later, I was just taught that in Chinese medicine. They didn't; they weren't talking about insulin or intermittent fasting. They were talking about resting your system. And I, you know, that type of thing is sort of always comes back to me. A lot of this wisdom from these ancient tradition or these old traditions, we sort of starting to understand now from a Western perspective and give it a name. So, intermittent fasting just means basically trying to eat the the three meals, two meals that you eat within, let's say, an eight-hour, 10-hour period. Let's say, classically, now they're talking about eat your meals like from start breakfast at 12 o'clock and eat dinner by 8 o'clock, within an eight-hour period. And then you rest your digestion, but you're not only resting your digestion. In Chinese medicine, I was taught you're doing it to rest your digestion, but when you give your body that 16-hour break, you actually causing a metabolic effect in your body which is very positive for weight loss for learning to balance sugar and and probably for a whole host of other things i know i go through phases where i do you know and do intermittent fasting i just don't have breakfast 2 or 3 days a week and you know what i notice if i'm eating mainly fat and protein and very little carbs it's actually very easy you don't it's not that difficult and you don't feel hungry. So I use it in my practice for people who want to lose weight in particular or people who want to balance their sugar, which is a lot of people, or make themselves a little bit more tolerant to carbohydrates because I have this concept that I use that so many of us are intolerant to the amount of carbohydrates we eat, most of us eat too many carbohydrates for what our bodies can metabolize. And when that is happening, intermittent fasting can be extremely helpful. So I th- I'm a big fan of intermittent fasting. I see I know when I do it myself, first of all, I feel fantastic and you do lose a little bit of weight and you realize that you don't have to eat as frequently as you know you're used to eating. But I'm using it more and more therapeutically in patients and getting great results. There's a wonderful book by a wonderful doctor out in Canada, Jason Fung, who wrote a book on fasting, and he explains the science behind it and all the studies really well. I didn't even know there were so many studies and on it, and and I think it's becoming more and more popular, even in, in maybe in alternative medical circles. But more and more research is being done on it, and every time I see an article, there are always positive results. You know, so it's. almost every culture has had fasting in their traditions. You know, why is that?
0: It's gotta be a reason. Yeah, if it's stuck around for thousands of years, you figure there's something to it. I mean, my first exposure to it was probably sort of in the uh, like the the quote biohacking community who were always just running experiments. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then when I started to do a bit more research on it and then experimented with myself, I was like, this is really interesting personally, how it makes me feel. And then I guess there's all this evolving research too, all their is doing research on longevity, cancer reduction, yeah. and how, how literally just compressing the amount of time that you eat may also switch on or off sort of the epigenetic state of certain genes to express disease, which if it's as easy as doing that over a sustained basis in time, and it potentially protects you from all of these life altering or ending diseases. And it's really like you mentioned, if you're not kind of gorging yourself with a lot of especially simple carbs, it's not actually that hard to do, why not? Exactly, and as you mentioned, there's
1: more and more research coming out in the cancer world about it, which is, and as you said, turning genes on and off. But here's something interesting, once again, going back to this Chinese medicine, Western medicine. I've always tried to work out, you know, what the hell is chi and energy from a Western perspective? And now I think, I mean, my newest understanding is it's the mitochondria, those energy powerhouses that we talk about in the cells. And actually intermittent fasting is a way to boost the functioning of your mitochondria. Also cutting back on carbs. So that's another reason probably why intermittent fasting has so, so many positive effects. It's boosting your mitochondria, same as high intensity interval training or strength training or eating more fats and less carbs. All of this, the mechanism, I think, of all these lifestyle changes we're talking about is possibly the mitochondria from a Western biochemical perspective.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that you would look at that overlay as, okay, so, because I have classically learned mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell. That's where ATP is created. Yeah, but then to to kind of think, well, maybe ATP is, you know, chi, and we've got all these millions of little things existing within cells that create it. And through life and abuse, they suffer dysfunction. So the idea that maybe if something like, you know, the way we eat could bring them back to life. Fascinating. You brought up high intensity interval training, which kind of moves us into the movement pillar also. That's, That's kind of interesting because, especially in the context of most people think of that, okay, I get fit, I get better, I get stronger, I'm more flexible, I'm more able-bodied, I can do the things I wanna do. But you mentioned also in the context of how it actually affects mitochondria, and there's research even showing that it may increase the number of mitochondria, not just make them work better.
1: One of the few things that do it, which always fascinates me, because this is how people always used to exercise. They They didn't go to gym. You know, it wasn't exercise. It was how they moved their bodies. So, yeah, I think uh, the whole, and, you know, I'm totally intrigued by mitochondria. Sitting in the sun, everyone loves sitting in the sun, you know, also increases mitochondrial function. So, you know. So sunlight increases. Yeah, sitting in the sun does. I mean, so. A lot of the, you know, we've been taught not to sit in the sun. Now, I'm not saying you sit in the sun like I sat in the sun growing up in South Africa and now I have skin damage, but yeah, use, you know, use the sun intelligently. It's the, you know, most of the, these things are there for a reason.
0: Yeah. Like you were saying that, you know, we don't naturally decide to do steady state exercise. <laughs> that, that is sort of like a function of the modern day, like fitness facility where it's rows and rows of things where you hit a button you know, and you set it on a fixed speed and then you, you know, try and distract yourself in some way from from what you're doing. But there's so little variation. Like when you're out in the field, when you're a kid, exactly. you're effectively doing high intensity All interval time. training. Exactly. But but it's fun.
1: And 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 the other thing about exercise, and I know this from myself, and everyone will probably confirm their own personal experience. Exercising outside First of all, is easier, more fun, and seems to be much more effective. Definitely for me, I hate riding my bicycle inside. It's like I just don't feel as good. It does, but I can ride my bicycle outside. I can go. What I always feel fantastic. There's something about being outside too, which you know has some effect on the body. What it does, I'm not sure. So all these. Little ordinary things of life that we take for granted, I believe, have, you know, what I say, the ordinary things in life have extraordinary effects on our health. So the book was a lot about thinking about all these little things like, you know, playing like a kid, having fun, laughing, listening to music. You know, music to me has always been so important in almost every aspect of my life, but definitely in terms of my health, especially emotional health, you know, there's obviously so much more to music than, you know, we tap into. And, you know, growing up in South Africa, there was, was interesting because there were always different musics for, you know, musics for church, you know, when, when someone died and there was music for wedding ceremonies and it's just uplifting. You know, there was the first time I went to, gospel or church here in New York to one of my friend's wives had died and um, she was African American and I went to this to this ceremony in this church here in Harlem and it's probably one of the most uplifting experiences of my life and here you know I come from the Jewish tradition when someone dies it's not you know everyone's sad and you know so I what I didn't really want to go to this but I thought I had to go It was one of the most uplifting experiences of my life. And this woman had, I mean, it was very powerful. So I think the way we use these things are so important and all these cultures have had it and we're sort of losing it.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting to say that because when you think about, right, if you think back across what nearly every healing and spiritual tradition, across every culture, there has always been music. Yeah. There's always been something rhythmic and musical about it, and you, you have to wonder, how could it span so far and cross so many cultures if there wasn't some bigger thing happening if it wasn't some if it didn't in some way do something to you? yeah,
1: absolutely. So you know this is the whole premise of the book that you know you don't have to eat perfectly, you don't have to go to the gym every day. You know, there are little things you can do that make a huge
0: difference to your health. Yeah, so something a couple other things that I, I thought were really fascinating. You talk about sleep, and you've mentioned sleep, I mean, you know, and there's been a ton of research on how important it is these days. You also talk, is sort of like explore the idea of sleep and, and being outside.
1: Right, well, I think the idea of sleep and getting, you know, it's this, understanding of how we use light today you know before there was electricity your bodies got used to daylight and darkness as well and it's only in the last you know when I grew up you know we used to go camping a lot but it was I, I never really thought about it now in my last couple of years I've spent more time away from the city out in nature and spending more time in the dark and realizing how you know sleep is a rhythm it's probably the most important rhythm of your body and our body has many different rhythms but if you can get that rhythm right it's easier for the other rhythms to fit into place and sort of extension of the music we are talking about and to me what happens we during the day we don't really get enough daylight we under these artificial lights which have weird effects on our body and at night there's one thing to switch off all the lights and be in complete darkness but there's some other effect on the body you get when you're actually sitting outside in the dark under the stars there's something about that darkness I'm not sure what it is but I know how it affects me and just speaking to you know now that when I started thinking about it and speaking to people when, when you're around you're sitting under the stars and there's something about that that affects your sleep. You tend to sleep better after that too if you can spend more time during the day in the in the sun or in the daylight and sometime when the sun's gone down under the moonlight and the stars. There's something that it does to you, and I'm not sure what, but there's something about that light too. So, the, you know, I can't remember how I try to articulate it in the book, but the, the important thing is, well, you do get benefits by sitting outside in the darkness under the sky, you know, under the normal skies. And that's how we've all for centuries have had to live. So there's, you
0: know. It's funny when I was, when I was reading that, I had this flashback many, many, many years ago. Now I found myself out in a sheep station in the middle of the country in Australia. And there was, you know, nothing for, Thousands and thousands of acres. And I remember just being out in the middle of a field with a few friends, and we were camping, and the sun went down, and it was complete and utter blackness. And then, but it was like somebody turned on a light full of stars. It, I'd never yeah. seen a sky like that, where literally it was, you know, it felt like thousands of white, flickering dots that went right down to the horizon. And I remember just lying there on my back looking up at this. And those few days being there was some of the most incredible, relaxing, peaceful days in my life. It's funny, as I was sort of reflecting on your words, it, it's like it took me back there and I was like, yeah, that felt actually felt pretty good. And, and then I was thinking about the camp that we run and how so many people actually just lie out in the grass until all hours of the night and I, I'm wondering what role that plays in sort of the total experience of rejuvenation
1: yeah i think it does i'm not sure what it does but it just makes sense i mean the as i get older and i think more about what affects health i'm sure these things i'm not sure how or why but you know most people tell you they feel good when they do it i do i know and i think A lot of it comes back to the rhythms and um, I'm obsessed with the rhythms. That's why I'm obsessed with music and how we entrain to different rhythms. But rhythm is one of those key gates that I talk about in my mandala. Rhythm is like one of those key aspects of our health and sleep is your major rhythm. And if you can get that rhythm
0: right, often the other rhythms fall into place. Your... It's funny, because if you think about somebody who practices medicine in the U.S., sees patients on a daily basis, to have a conversation with that person where, you know, the solid chunk of the time you say, listen, I actually don't necessarily know the detailed science behind this, but I know it makes a difference. It's unusual to have somebody like you just own that. And I wonder if part of that comes from the fact that you are trained not just as a Western physician, but also in Chinese medicine. And it opens you to the understanding that there are some things that actually move the needle that are bigger than granular Western scientific explanation.
1: No question. When you are day in and day out, especially as a young doctor, using acupuncture or herbs or whatever I got taught out of Western medicine, seeing these things help. And you don't know, you know, and a doctor's saying, "Well, there's no science behind it," and you're saying, "I'm not going crazy. I put needles in that person, and their headaches have gone, or I took gluten out of their diet, and they feel better." I don't. Why should I be waiting for science to prove something that I'm seeing all the time? So, I mean, many years ago, I let go of the science because, just because we haven't proved it scientifically to me is 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 not meaningless but not that important because I've seen too many aspects of health get better without any scientific proof. And you know, seeing is believing. I am more of an observer. If something
0: helps, I don't have to wait for the science. Right. Which brings me around to another question. It's something that you talk about earthing. This is fascinating to me because I'm a guy who hates shoes. And anytime I have like a chance to be barefoot in nature, I will. I didn't know that was actually a thing.
1: Yeah, I'm quite intrigued by earthing. I mean, because I know. So what is
0: it that we're talking about? What well, we're
1: talking about the electromagnetic, I mean, look, I'm not, apparently there is some science, I don't know what great science it is, but the concept of earthing is the electromagnetic fields of the earth when you're walking barefoot go through your feet and and into your body. And, and that electromagnetic field is actually healing to the body because it's completely different to what's going on in your body. Now, I don't have, I'm not gonna argue with anyone, but I know when I walk, on the, you know, I'm a, I love walking on the beach. I can't deny how I feel after I walk on the beach, how it affects my sleep, how it affects everything. You know, so that's a classic way of earthing. But, you know, as you say, people walking barefoot outside, um, there's something about that. So, you know, now more and more people are getting into earthing and making earthing mats and earthing beds and earthing that. I don't know about right. those I things.
0: Because th- I, uh, I want to ask you about that. I don't that.
1: know about <laughs> that. I mean, I, th- I think it's interesting. Well, what I will say, when I got into earthing years ago, we bought an earthing mat and we put it under the desk of my health coach and she had a dog. And the dog always went to lie on that earthing mat. And I've heard that story from a couple of patients. They've told me, they've bought earthing mats and the dog always goes to lie on that earthing mat. It also tells me something. So there is, I don't know about earthing mats and I don't have one. I mean, we we bought one for the office just as an experiment. I didn't really feel any different from it. But I will say the dog always went to lie on that earthing mat. Mm. And I've heard that a number of times from from patients. So I I don't know. There may be something to it. I'm not knocking it. I I like to me, you know, walking outside barefoot is is probably the most effective you're gonna get the most effect from
0: this concept of
1: earthing, but who knows? The the mats, I'm open. They're not going to harm you.
0: I mean, it's interesting when we talk about the earthing mats. And mm. just my my knowledge of them is that effectively it's you know, it's a small mat. And you basically somehow like you, you find an outlet in your office. You don't plug it into electricity, but essentially you have a little grounding wire that touches that. And for those who don't know, every electrical outlet has, has a third hidden wire that is in some way grounded. That wire has to touch ground for safety reasons. And you you know that you then the mat connects to that grounding wire which you know, supposedly then would create a direct connection to the ground somewhere you know we're living in New York City but which bring i mean the question for me when i see stuff like this is how far do we go but also it's kind of like you know to me it's the same thing as when you look at okay so we see an herb or you know like some substance and we know that if you if you take the whole herb you know, that, that for some, it does something to us where, you know, and it, it may even have Western science that shows that it has an effect. That particular plant may have 50 different things happening in it. And we don't know whether it's any one individual thing that's causing the effect or the blend of all of them together. So I wonder when you do things like, you know, move from walking in nature with bare feet to creating, you know, something like an earthing mat where you're, you're literally just trying to like take one thing that actually either is ineffective without the blend of all the things that happen from being outside or or isn't the actual thing that is, you know, functional. No,
1: I think you're right. And I think we see that in in herbal medicine. I mean my Chinese medicine teacher E from Congo always used to say when he always had a problem taking just the ginseng or just the, the active ingredient of ginseng out. He said, because plants are made the are parts that you take out that could mitigate the side effects. you got to treat the plant as a whole. You can't just take parts out. So, yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I'm intrigued by those mats. I don't know if yeah, they're me, really well. I, mean, I, I, I mean, I I mean, I didn't feel anything. My health coach you know, had it under her desk, uh, and, but the dog loved it, and I've heard that before. They were, so there's obviously something that the dogs get attracted to lie on that mat. Huh.
0: Yeah, I wonder what's going on yeah. there. <laughs> you got to trust the animals yeah. before you yeah, trust yeah. anyone else. We've talked about, and we've kind of danced through a lot of the different things I wanted to talk to you about. One of the things that that I was curious about also, if we kind of zoomed the lens out a bit, is, and it's not specifically laid out as one of the pillars that you focus on, but it's kind of alluded to in a number of different ways, is the idea of meaning and how that plays into health outcomes in life and how you feel. I'm curious just what your thoughts are on that relationship.
1: Yeah, I feel very strongly. I think i try to mention it more in purpose. You know, I'll put it under the, you know, this is the thing when you write a book and with this type of thing, you try to fit all these things into different areas. It's ne- um, it never works perfectly. Yeah. Like we both it, know that. But meaning is really important. Finding meaning in one's life. I mean, as you you know, is to me, one of the keys to health you know so much is probably more important than you know all the fat and the sugar in that. i think for, people who have meaning in their lives tend to be healthier and happier period when you have meaning that does something to you physiologically that is very positive for your health i mean there's a story and i, I probably told it in one of my books i don't know if i did but i always remember the story so clearly this Years ago this woman was coming in, she was New York working really hard. She was, you know, late thirties, almost forty. She was unhappy. She hated her job. She was so burnt out. She had what we would if we had to give her diagnosis, adrenal fatigue, and you know, we're trying this herb and we're trying yoga and we're trying trying everything and she just wasn't getting better. So eventually I just threw up my hands, I said why don't you just go work for a nonprofit in Africa, sort of like out of frustration. And I didn't see her for a while, and then I got an email a couple of months later saying, hey, Dr. Lippmann, just to let you know, I'm in Africa, I'm working for this nonprofit. profit 100% better. I feel wonderful. I gave up my job. I love what I do. She was, you know, she, this woman who was like struggling for so many years, and we tried everything, She went to Africa, found something she felt passionate about, was loving what she was doing, and she was, you know, she she emailed to tell me she felt 100% better. And I see, I mean, having meaning in one's life is so important. And, you know, it's one of those intangibles that we forget about. And as you, and, and another point, which, I mean, this is all the stuff you talk about and you do and you've noticed finding your tribe you're all about meaning and finding your tribe politics have become very tribal now so that's a bit of a problem but you know people need tribes these days because you know you need to have that connection and feel part of something some type of community it's extremely powerful you you know and and we had that growing up in South Africa because we had this tribe that was, anti-system and we all felt like we were fighting this whatever we were a small tribe within this bigger system but it was very powerful I mean tribes are extremely powerful and I think in this day and age tribes are important and powerful and that's why I think I love what you do I think you've sort of taken it to another level which is fantastic so
0: good for you I love that thank that you've you done that thank you yeah I mean my My flag were so wired, so similar in so many ways, but I really increasingly do believe that if you can find a path to meaning and belonging, and sometimes it's the same path because they both feed each other, that so much of what ails us on so many levels falls away. And yet those are the last places we tend to look for solutions.
1: Right. And this is the interesting thing about social media and computers and this tech, because in a way you can create a tribe or the tech stuff can help creating a tribe, but at the same time, it can be a problem too. So it's how you use it. So I think computers and technology can be very helpful to create community, but
0: it's how it's used too. Yeah, to deepen into it also. Yeah. And sometimes it creates envy and, a, and yeah. estrangement. And, yeah. yeah which kind of brings us full circle because we started talking about technology. Right. So I'm curious. I mean, I always, I mean, we've I've asked you this question before, I don't know, a year ago or whenever we, we chatted and, and explored your backstory, but I'm always curious, you know, because people change and where you are is always different. If I ask the question, what does it mean to you to live a good life? What comes up now?
1: Well, what comes up now is I am really passionate about turning people on to health and showing them that it's not that difficult and this book is really about that because I I see so much unnecessary suffering in my practice people who are really who could be so much healthier and happier than they are and they're suffering because the default choices are unhealthy they're suffering because They go to their doctors or their guides or the institutions which aren't helping them. I see a change in the culture now where for so many years I was this alternative doctor or this quack, and now I see my daughter and her generation, the millennials, get it. So to me, my purpose and meaning has now become how do we get people healthy how do we get healthy products out there how do we support companies that are doing the right thing how do we support companies that are creating healthy products how do we support people doing the right thing it's about how do we create a wellness tribe it's all these things we're talking about so that's what gets me going now how are we going to like this next generation of fantastic my generation I'm 63 your generation probably not as bad but is you know they can do what they want but this next generation get it so i'm very excited by the millennials and how they see life and they want authenticity they want meaning they are aware of the environment it's wonderful to see and obviously i'm maybe seeing a warped group of of these millennials but i'm really excited and meaning for me now is how do we like really turn these people on to to create a better world Mm.